I heard of an unusual event that occurred in the, in the Passion Play. Have you ever been to Branson, Missouri? How many of you been to Branson, Missouri? A few of you. Over the years, they really put on this amazing uh, passion drama in uh, Branson. And there was a local man who was playing the part of Jesus. And he came carrying his cross down the street. And while he was doing this, there was a heckler on the side of the road, just kept following along with him. And just, you know, giving him grief and calling out bad things or whatever. So finally, the actor got so irritated, he dropped his cross, went over and punched the guy out right on the side of the street there. And, of course, the director of the play was horrified because that's not what, you know, Jesus is not supposed to do that. You know, he's playing the role of Jesus. And and so he pulled him aside. You've got to control your emotions. You can't retaliate. I mean, even though a tourist insults you or whatever, you cannot react. It just destroys the image that we're trying to present. So, of course, the next day, uh, the same heckler was back, walking along the street, hurling sarcastic comments and so on. And the actor, for a while, he just, he just you could see, he just shake it. He just couldn't hardly ignore it. So finally, he dropped his cross again, went over, and it was just, it wasn't pretty. He clobbered the guy, had to be restrained, and so on. So the director patiently warned him. He said, now look, you, you're playing the part of Jesus. You just can't go off on people like that. And, he, and you know, all this is not, you can't lose your composure. That's the whole point. You're going to have to control your, yourself or you're, not, you're going to be replaced. We're going to kick you out. So the next day, the actor was carrying his cross down the street. The same guy was back, verbally insulting him. And, but, but this time, the actor gritted his teeth, looked over at the heckler and smiled and said, I'll see you after the resurrection. I like that guy. Now, it's no secret. It's no secret we live in a country where each new year, fewer and fewer people are embracing the Christian faith. Church attendance, church involvement has been in decline for a good while in our nation. But isn't it sad that there are so many people who follow Jesus Christ who in spite of the realities of what's going on culturally, they can be nasty, they can be mean-spirited, and yet still wear the name Christian. I mean, what good is it to celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas and His resurrection at Easter if nothing ever transforms our attitudes as we walk the path that we've chosen You're not going to transform other people by that kind of perspective. Why bother to pretend to follow in the steps of Jesus if you and I don't treat people the way Jesus would have treated them? Philippians 2 verse 1, the Apostle Paul describes it like this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so he's talking to Christians, if any comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. But as we all probably know, and it's sad, there are people who know the Bible well, yet they never make the transition between knowledge of Scripture and application of the Scriptures. That's a big difference. They never build the bridge between believing in Christ 
and behaving like Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, you with me? All through the New Testament, we're instructed to treat other people with compassion. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with everyone. Ephesians 4, 2 says, You be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Hebrews 12, 14, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. And while those passages admit that it takes some effort, we all know that there are some people who have it impossible to be at peace with. The Bible says Jesus grew in favor with God and with man, but there was a group of people who were so opposed to Jesus Christ that they didn't just stand on the sidelines heckling him, they crucified him. So it's impossible to be at peace with everybody. But for the most part, Christians should be easy to live with. In fact, Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, listen to this, he'll make even his enemies to be at peace with him. And this is why as we welcome in a brand new year, that we're looking at a series of messages about how to get along with people. The Carnegie Institute did a survey of 10,000 people they considered to be successful in a variety of fields. And they discovered that success in almost every area of endeavor was 15% technical knowledge, 85% personality. Isn't that interesting? So much of almost every assignment is relating to people, understanding people, communicating with people. All of us, all of us have met individuals with outstanding talent, but they've failed simply because they, they could never develop good human relations skills. But on the other side, we've also found that people with average ability have become very successful because they learned how to relate to others. The Apostle Paul ends 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with this phrase, and now I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And for the next 10 weeks, Nick and I are going to go through a chapter in your Bible focusing on various attributes of love that can be found and are discussed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, called affectionately the love chapter. This morning, Paul begins by showing the importance of, of cultivating compassion towards others. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 13, and he points out, uh, that number one, caring for others is more important than talent. Caring for others is more important than just having talent. This, this is one of five big ideas, by the way. Verse one of the passage says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, then I'm just like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Some Christians in the first century had a miraculous gift of speaking in a foreign language that they'd never studied. But such a gift also would sometimes become a source of pride. And Paul says here, he says, I may be able to speak in a number of languages. In fact, I might even be able to speak an angelic language. But if I don't care about people, I'm just making a whole lot of unnecessary noise. The pagan temples in the first century would have this huge metal gong there right at the entrance. And a worshiper would take this wooden mallet and whack that thing as he's going in to the, to the temple there. 
And the, you know why? Because the purpose was to wake up their God so he would hear their prayers. And you could hear this thing for miles. Everybody knew what was going on. But the Jewish people and the Christian community, they would often hear this and they'd laugh because it seems so silly to them to believe in a God that you had to make a lot of noise to get his attention. And Paul uses that word picture to illustrate the futility of a loveless life. He's saying, even if I'm able to speak in angelic languages and tongues, whatever, but if I have no compassion, I'm nothing. So that's so important. Caring for others is more important than just talent. Then number two, caring for others is more important than intellect or intelligence. Verse 2 says, even if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but if I don't have love, I am absolutely nothing. Fifty years ago, one of my professors in a seminary said something I, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to, and even if I had, I could not tell you what it was because I can't remember anything anymore. But I do remember part of what he said. He was talking about how a rapid increase in knowledge and technology was going to make such a difference in the future. And he went on to say here that one day it would have a tremendous impact on how we would communicate the gospel. He said way back then that we would know only about 3% of the knowledge and technology that would be available to us one day. That's not very much. And of course, here in 2023, I, I think he underestimated when you think about it. I think a lot of us are feeling more and more inadequate when it comes to our fast-paced digital world. I know I am. I have gadgets at home that I appreciate people giving them to me. I haven't figured out how to work them yet. And Nick will help me do that because he's my go-to guy for that. But Paul said, even if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And with all the storehouse of information, I mean, think about it. Available to you and me today, we still have not solved Man's basic problem. It's been well said, people do not care how much we know until they know how much we care. And I think our church does a wonderful job of that. I think we are really, really sweet and understanding, and I think that we do a wonderful job loving one another. Now, how well do you do when you leave this building? How well are you outside of the church in different contexts? That's, that's an important thing to consider. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So then he talks about talent, he talks about intelligence, then it, he talks about faith. Caring for others is more important than faith, our belief. Verse 2 says, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have any love. He said, I'm nothing. Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. But I think this is where a lot of legalistic Christians miss out. They think that being a Christian is just merely adhering to a set of dogmatic rules or regulations. They say, well, I believe God created the world. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe the Bible is true, and I believe the Holy Spirit's our guide. And these are certainly sound and doctrinal things that we need to know. But the Bible says in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts 
is faith expressing itself through love. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite believed all the right things about God. But they weren't very concerned about other people. They could not care less about a hurting individual right there in their presence. They never expressed their faith through love. So that's a big deal. Then number four, caring for others is more important than generosity. Caring for others is more important than than giving and and generosity. Verse 3 says, If I give all I possess to the poor, but I don't have love, then I gain nothing. Now, Now notice that word all. He didn't say, if I give 10%. He said, if I give everything I have away, it's not motivated. if it's not motivated by love, I gain nothing. And then number five, caring for others is so much more than accomplishment. Caring for others is more important than what we do and what we gain. Verse three says, if I surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, what he's talking about is the suffering of martyrdom as was practiced in that day, being burned at the stake for your faith in Jesus Christ. And even if we take that moment and make the supreme sacrifice for God, when we have accomplished as much as we can as a Christian, but we're, we're martyred to, the, to that point, it still doesn't make any difference. If our motives aren't pure, we've accomplished nothing. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12, is a passage that is both comforting while at the same time it's disturbing. Here's what it says. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, or hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. And if what he has built survives, then he will receive his reward. But if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now that's comforting to know that we can be saved, even though if we are not necessarily aware of many of these principles. Even if our motives may not all be pure, that's comforting. But it is disturbing to know that God is evaluating my motives and your motives as well as our actions. Not just why we do what we do, but the recognition comes of knowing God's given us a score in a sense. To God, love is more important than performance. Relationships are more important than accomplishments. Rick Warren summed up this passage one time by saying, God is saying, I can have all the eloquence of an orator. I can have all the knowledge of a genius all the faith of a miracle worker, the generosity of a philanthropist, and the dedication of a martyr. But if I have no love, it all counts for nothing. None of it counts. Now here's the question. How can we apply this to our lives as we start this new year? How can we cultivate compassion in our everyday relationships? So I want you to look at some passages with me. How do we do this? John 13, 34. Here's Jesus, and he says... A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, he said, so you must love one another. Now notice this. Jesus Christ commanded you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus, he commands us to love. It's non-optional. 
It wasn't a suggestion. Don't miss this. This tells us that love is not an involuntary action. Like that helpless feeling, you know. How many of you ever fell in love? That seems so accidental. Well, I was going down the street the other day, and there was this gorgeous woman tripped. I fell right on top of her, and I suddenly I was in love with her. You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Love is not this helpless feeling. It's a controlled behavior. Now, why is that? Here's why. Because God never commands you and me to do something we can't do. You see, our world suggests that love is a feeling. Our world says you, you fall in love, fall into love, like you might fall into a ditch, you know. Or you can fall out of love. Just decide one day, well, we're not in love anymore. Love is a controlled behavior. Remember that old song, I just can't help falling in love with you. I was going to ask some of our men to come up and sing that to their wives. (laughs) Or some can remember the Righteous Brothers song. I've lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. That's why I don't sing, by the way. And don't forget the rock group, The Doors. How many of you remember The Doors? Okay. That's why I I love preaching to older people. The Doors song, this is is memorable. All right. Hello. I love you. Won't you tell me your name? (laughs) Now, boy, that's deep. That is deep. But listen to the definition of love from Philippians 2. This passage tells us that to be like Jesus, you know, we have to love like Jesus. Verse 4 says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now there it is. To love is to simply and deliberately put the concerns and interests of the people you know, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, whatever it is, but you put those things ahead of yourself. Feelings are always going to fluctuate, but unselfish behavior can be demonstrated consistently. It really can. Now, the place to begin all this is with the family. I mean, what if, what if all of us who call ourselves Christians put the interests of the other family members above our own selfish interests? I mean, think about it. All the bickering, all the hard feelings, all those things would vanish. Our homes would be transformed into a place that's a haven of peace and encouragement. Pastor E.V. Hill was a minister out in Los Angeles, California, a number of years ago. He was pastor of a really large church in the inner city of Los Angeles. His preaching was always biblical, solid. He talked straight to all groups, regardless of the color of their skin. The gospel was the same. And the result was he was threatened a numerous number of times, actually, uh, by those that didn't like his message. He once got a phone call, and the voice on the other end threatened that his car was going to be blown up sometime during the next week. That's a response to his taking a stand for the Bible. But the next morning when he awakened, his wife wasn't there. He called out, didn't hear her. She, she, she did not answer. They were responding. He looked out in the driveway, and the car was gone. 
And uh, he was all upset. And just moments, though, minutes later, she drove back up, pulled into the garage or in the parking area. And he was so upset. He asked her, he said, what are you doing? And she said, you know, I just got to thinking that this community needs you a whole lot more than it needs me. And if somebody was going to rig our car to be blown up and explode, I wanted to be in that car. I didn't want you to be in it. And E.V. Hill would later say, I always knew my wife loved me. But that morning, my wife showed me what love was really all about. See, Christian love is sacrificial. It puts the needs and concerns and interests of other people ahead of ourselves. Regardless of how we feel, it's being patient with your mate and your children and your relatives, no matter what the circumstances. I mean, think about it. You and I will do things for our kids that we would not do for normal people. Did y'all pick up that subtle message there? But we will. You know, we will do things for others. Love is being kind to your in-laws, even when they can be demanding or manipulative. And this kind of compassionate love needs to be applied here in our church family as well. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That is supposed to be the badge of discipleship. That's the hallmark of of, of a, a passion for people. That's what it's supposed to be. Distinctive characteristic of the church. But empathy doesn't come easily or naturally to all people, does it? So you and I need to slow down, and as we start this new year, we need to make a determined effort to try to put ourselves in other people's shoes, other people's situations. We need to invest, ask questions. We need to be like the prophet Ezekiel when he said, I sat where they sat. Have you ever asked yourself, I mean, how would... How would it really feel? I mean, really, to be handicapped? How would it really feel? I mean, really, to be unemployed? How would it feel, really, really, to be be divorced or widowed or to lose a child? How would it really feel to hear the doctor say, you have cancer or you have Alzheimer's? How would it really, really feel really, to be divorced. Someone has said, when we take the time to empathize, a few cracks begin to appear in the concrete that surrounds our hard hearts. And it's true. One of the great things about Jesus was he already knew what was in the heart of humans. Remember when he went to a funeral one day of a dear friend named Lazarus? The Bible tells us he wept. And the people remarked, see how he loved him. And I pray we do not forget 1 Corinthians 12, 26, which says this, especially when it comes to the life of the church. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. And over the next 10 weeks, as we continue this series about improving our relationships with family, co-workers, neighbors, whatever. Nick and I hope you'll be able to apply these truths to the folks that you come to church with every week as well. Every week here at Maple Grove. 
See, God's love for us is impressive. Why? Because he loves us even though we're sinners. And if we want to be like him, you and I must learn to love those who are not easy to love. Romans 12, 20 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but you overcome evil with good. Now, it's certainly no secret that our country is going through the birth pangs of a cultural civil war. It's been coming for a long time. And uh, when it comes to values and morality, it's just hard to even read the news or watch anything on television anymore. Most of us here today could not have imagined how quickly things have changed in the mindset and attitude of Americans. But we Christians are to respond by speaking the truth in love. Don't miss that distinction. We are to be armed with the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible says is the gospel of peace. And love, our love especially, must always be distinguishing. It must be the distinguishing characteristic if you and I are ever going to make a difference in our world. If we all just live like selfish little clods and take care of ourselves, then maybe you won't have to be so troubled by this message. But the reality is, if you're a Christian, you don't get that option. We must love because someone first loved us. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But, 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 but you do this in gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. What I'm saying is, as we close this message, is that we're never to be mean-spirited. We're never to be brutal as we proclaim the truth in word and deed. We're never to, to punch out those that are against us. We're to be like Christ, and we care even for those who don't think the way we do. And as we gently respond, those who disagree with us will more likely, will be more likely to listen to us. And even if they don't, they will eventually be ashamed of their slander. But always remember, you and I are not here to win any kind of theological arguments with people. That's not our role. Our goal is to represent our Lord in such a way that the hearts and the attitudes of other people will be moved to change, so that things will be different for them. And that can only be done if we genuinely, genuinely set the example and we genuinely care about other people. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. And as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus did not just talk about this. He went to the cross to demonstrate his love for us which is why sharing the Lord's Supper here at the close of our service is so important. It's such a special time to remember, special time to contemplate. And following the sermon, I think it also enables us to make connections. Because over and over again, I, Nick and I have seen this happen. 
you know, the things we talk about in the message, it's appropriate for us to close the service with the Lord's Supper. That moment when we spend time just with the Lord. We're listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We're not paying attention to anybody else around us. And it's so important. It's a special time. And I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to appreciate and actually live out that special time as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love. We, we can't even begin to fathom how much you care about us. In spite of all the mess-ups, in spite of all the things we don't get right, and all the other con- convoluted issues and challenges we have living as human beings, in spite of it, our sin is so immense, yet you still you loved us enough to send Jesus to not only take care of the sin problem, but to take care of the heart problem that we have every single day. Oh, Father, help us as we meet around your table here today and just help us just love you, just be transparent about our affection, our appreciation for you. We start this new year, but without your strength and grace and mercy, it doesn't matter. It's all about us. And so, Father, I ask that as we start this year, we will start thinking about other people first. Just as you thought about us, the whole time on that cross, you were thinking of us. You were giving life to save us. And so, Father, as we come before you, we take that bread, which represents that broken body, and we drink that cup that reminds us of the spilt blood that was on Calvary. We pray, Lord, that now and continuing all through the rest of these years, that this will take on fresh meaning every seven days for us. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.